Welcome aboard, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Out of the Rut podcast. It's been a while, Joe. It has. It has. It has. And we're messing around with video today. So we're going to see how that works. Hey, there's producer Joe. I'd like to introduce to all of you tuning in tonight um, to special guest. Um, never had him on the show, but we've done a lot of these types of things before. So my good buddy Reed Nicholson joins us tonight. How you doing, man? Good, good. How about y'all? Hey, can't complain, man. Can't awesome. complain. Awesome. So um, if, for those of you who don't know, if this is your first time tuning in, well, my goal when I started the show was to find interesting people and talk to them about their stories because I always enjoyed, um, the, and the reason that I got into podcasting was because I enjoyed telling stories. And one of the favorite, th- one of my favorite things ever was just like being able to sit down, have a beer, you know, just converse with people and uh, ask them questions to get to hear their perspective on life. Um, if they were further along than me or if they had a different perspective than me or if they were just, you know, in an interesting industry or had an interesting story. I've had um, law enforcement, doctors, uh, an attorney. Um, Joe, who else have we had on? A lacrosse coach, a pro ball player, uh, a couple pro ball players actually. Yes, two um, pro baseball players, some amateur baseball players that are uh, like a Billy. Yeah, uh, Billy, leadership. Billy Langford, Billy. the life coach. The probably I think he's been our guest the most n- number of times. Yep, him and Ken probably. Uh, yep, Ken yep. Boyd, and uh, then training instructor. Yep, military background. And now we've got Reed, who's yep. Reed, your realtor. Reed, your realtor, baby. So take it back a little bit. So you've got an interesting story uh, from the Rockford area originally. Yep. Um, we were introduced by a mutual friend. Your wrestling coach, actually, from high school. Absolutely. Was, uh, is, is a good friend of mine, uh, an insurance agent who has been on the show. So uh, you can kind of see a common theme here. So tell um, tell the audience, you know, kind of um, maybe your journey with with sports a little bit and then how you got involved in real estate. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, yeah, like you said, you know, I, I went to Rockford High School. I graduated from there and um, yeah, I had a great experience at Rockford. Um, my two main sports from freshman year to senior year was football and wrestling. I did a lot of different sports before then, but football and wrestling kind of stuck. Um, my whole goal throughout football and wrestling was to just prove that, you know, I was someone out there that was one of the best. Um, and I, I really took that to heart, worked really hard, um, you know, and, and did the whole high school kind of thing there. Um, had a lot of great accomplishments going into my junior and senior year. My junior year, my goal was to start on the team. And about halfway through junior year, I I actually got that opportunity. And the rest of the year I started and um, that kind of set me up and ramped me up right in going into senior year. And And to add some context to that, if you're going to Rockford, Rockford's one of the biggest schools in West Michigan. Yeah. Um, So that's no small feat. Especially a big wrestling school too. Yeah, for sure. Like my high school, uh, our our varsity football team had twenty kids. Yeah, yeah. Ninth, ninth through twelfth grade had about sixty. Yeah, to seventy. That, so. And that's wild. And, yeah. the, and then you guys have a freshman team and a JV team or yep. something along those lines. Yep. And so, yeah, ultra competitive. So that's that's Super. no small feat. Yeah, there's there's a lot of studs at Rockford, for sure. Um, but yeah, so I mean that junior year set me up really good for senior year. You know, I knew all the plays. I 
had actually gotten to play. So at that point, you know, confidence level was through the roof and I knew what I wanted to accomplish. Um, I didn't have a ton of, of big goals in football necessarily senior year. Um, you know, I obviously wanted us to make it to States that didn't end up happening. Um, you know, my, I, I can remember back and I can think my one big goal was to get one pick because that was mm-hmm. never anything I had. If for you guys who don't know, I, um, I played outside backer at Rockford. Um, so I was mainly defense and that was my goal. I was like, I want one pick. Just please let me touch the ball. <laughs> exactly, bro. <laughs> I just wanted the ball because, uh, before that, you know, I was running back and outside backer. Yeah. Uh, you know, but with Rockford being as big as it was, uh, you know, they, they start to make you specialize as you go, go through the program. Yep. Um, so that was my one big thing. Uh, I actually, I did get a pick second to last game. Yeah. Our second to last game, uh, that was against East Kenwood. That was freaking awesome. I loved it. (laughs) Um, and it was just by me being in the right spot, right time because middle linebacker crushed the quarterback mid throw and he just had happened to lobbed it up right to where I was. There was no one else in sight. Nice. And Did you take it, it to the house? Out. No, I tried. I tried <laughs> and I got a lot of crap for it too. Cause it was end of the game and, and you got like, caught. Yeah, yeah. Oh no. <laughs> well, and there's like a picture I'm like holding the ball, like just flailed out, like not protecting it at all. <laughs> but, um, yeah. So, I mean, that was, that was a big, huge accomplishment for me. I had a lot of, um, accomplishments as well just for the school and throughout the school that you know wasn't necessarily my goals but I got them um that was actually extremely cool and and it made me really proud Mm -hmm. um that that they ended up actually giving me a lot of those awards and um wrestling wise it's kind of the same thing you know I never had any goals and wrestling wasn't my main sport football was more my main sport um and our wrestling team was stacked when I was coming up. Um, all four, the last three years I was there, we made it to States. Um, and so that was kind of the tradition we wanted to continue. Uh, my end goal in wrestling was to qualify for the state tournament. And um, throughout the season, I ended up making it. I, uh, I qualified for States through Rockford at, 215 weight class and at that time I was weighing in at about 180 um so I was wrestling up pretty significantly um and you know I I just worked for it and uh it was really cool and I ended up blowing my knee out a week before team states and Mm -hmm. if you don't know wrestling you have team states and then you have individual states Mm -hmm. um individual states is what a lot of people strive for kind of what I was gunning for um, as well. But a week before team states happened, I actually blew my knee out, uh, popped two bursa or popped my bursa sacks, which isn't actually that bad of an injury. Mm-hmm. You just have a lot of inflammation. Yeah, I mean, my knee was drained. huge. Yeah. Uh, like my coach at the time who has been at Rockford for, I think, 20 plus years now, he's like, that's the biggest bursa sack injury I've ever seen in my oh. life. Um, like it was to the point where I couldn't really bend my knee the right way. Mm-hmm. And that kind of, that sucked. Um, it ended up coming down to, well, so I went to get it drained, right? Mm-hmm. Dumbest thing ever. Um, they, they put the shot in and, you know, they go to suck out all the blood because the bursa sack pop is, is just a bunch of blood in yep. there, wherever it popped. And, um, 
went to drain it out and my whole knee that was swollen just kind of shifted when he pulled with the oh, needle. No. And uh, he goes, oh, that's not good. I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, uh, well, the blood clotted, um, so we can't drain it. There's nothing we can really do. You just got to sit and wait. Oh, no. Um, so I found that out like right before team states. Um, my coach was like, yeah, you're not going to wrestle team states, but you still have the opportunity for individual. Um, and I was like, all right, sweet. So we'll play it by ear for this next week and go from there. And um, knee just was the same size coming up to states mm. and <laughs> wasn't looking good. And for me, my whole mindset was like, you know, I could go out there. I could wrestle and it would be what it is. But at the same time, I knew I wouldn't be wrestling my best. Um, and for me, my whole mindset was if I wasn't going to wrestle my best, especially wrestling up the weight that I was. For sure. And the dude that I had uh, coming up, well, he was second, ranked second in the state. And I was like, you know, if I'm going to go out there and perform, I want to perform at my best. And if that's not going to be what it is, mm-hmm. I'm not going to do it kind of thing. Yeah. And it just wasn't worth injuring myself more like that Mm -hmm. so you hung him up so i hung him up um that was rough but yeah i ended up hanging up hanging him up and um you know from there so i mean that's kind of my my high school career in a nutshell i suppose i mean so after so wrestling comes after football now you're done with sports Were, were you kind of like Oh my God. Like, cause I know how intensive sports gets when you're in high school. Cause you've got school, you've got sports, you've got social life. It's like all encompassing. And when, when that gets removed, you know, a lot of times athletes are like, well, what the crap do I do now with all this time? Yeah. Well, in that I had a valet job lined up for, uh, one of the Marriott hotels, downtown GR, which mm-hmm. are very popular. And, um, so I, I, I knew kind of what I was going to do next. Um, you know, I, didn't have much of high school left. I was going to about three hours a day Mm -hmm. and then I was going to ballet for work. So, um, you know, I kind of had that set up for me previously before everything ended. And then, um, you know, so I I was on that track and then COVID hit Mm -hmm. and that's where that mindset set in where it's like, holy crap, like, what, what do you do? What, yeah, like, what would I even do? Yeah. But everybody was that way because everybody was stuck at home. Like, there mm-hmm. was a bunch of unease and no one knew what was going on. So it was, like, up in the air. Um, the great thing about me, though, is uh, I love uh, day trading stocks. That was going to be my next question. So you didn't, you didn't just, like, you know, pout and sit on your keister and play Xbox all day. Mm-hmm. Like, you know a lot of 18, 19 year old kids would do right, right. during COVID. I can't even imagine what it would be like to be like an 18 year old kid during so, everything shutting down. I mean, well, we lived on a lake. So like, that wasn't that bad. Yeah. I mean, just that, go outside I mean, yeah. And, right. I mean, you just go <laughs> hit the lake at that point. But yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, but when I was 15, um, that's when I started day, studying day trading. Mm-hmm. Um, and really getting into the stock world. And ever since then, I was hooked. Um, so basically all throughout high school, in any of my free time, I just watched YouTube videos on day trading and mm. what the strategies were, you know, how to do it. Um, so basically when COVID hit a month afterwards, I had saved up a, a decent chunk of money and opened up my first account about a month after COVID and started day trading, you know, 10, 10, 12 hours a day, almost the entire summer. I mean, I loved it. 
Um, it was a good time to start too because everything was down. Exactly. So every, I mean, you're well, in a... And for day traders, it was so volatile. Right. That's what day traders thrive on. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was like a cool, you know, I was jumping into like true, true day trading where it's just trades are open every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and if you don't day... If you don't know trading at all, um, you know, you don't trade every day necessarily. You wait for good setups. Uh, but during COVID, a lot of good setups, a lot of good setups every single day. So let me ask you this. What um, with, with day trading, what what would be the like the one piece of advice that you learned? Because I've always learned like if anything, you have to have a plan and you have to stick to your plan, whether it's a good plan or a bad plan. You have to stick to your plan. What was kind of your your strategy that you like to use? So. I did all technical analysis. Um, basically, what that means is is you read charts. Uh, I didn't do very much anything with fundamentals. Uh, the other reason for that was because I was trading penny stocks. I, I mean, I say penny stocks. Really, it was $20 and below stocks. Sure. Um, but for those, fundamentals don't necessarily matter. It's more reading charts, watching support, major support, and major resistance levels. Um, so, you know, you, you'd, you'd go back on a time on, you know, you go back a year to three years on a penny stock, uh, lay out those overarching resistance and support lines. And then from there, you know, you'd, you'd make a game plan on lower time frames and more recent time frames of, you know, what your plan was going to be to trade that stock that day. Um, the biggest takeaway I would have had from trading though is patience. Mm-hmm. Uh, patience is like everything. Even, you know, now that I'm in the real estate, I mean, patience is everything. Um, the other part was consistency. Uh, I feel like I learned both of those things extremely. I, I feel like I got a good base from that in a sense from high school and the sports I did and whatnot. Uh, but day trading really solidified those two things. Consistency and patience is what pays off. Um, so those were my two biggest takeaways. And, and that's kind of how I traded stocks. You know, I'd look for major support and resistance. I'd wait for it to get to one of those. And then I'd, I'd place my trade and let it play out. Nice. Kind of thing. So nice. Yeah. So, and then after that, um, by the way, the, you know, that's an average thing for an 18 year old kid to do. I'm just going to, I'm going to go take down wall street and I'm going to start learning how to read these charts and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And then you're just like, eh, I'm bored with this. I'm going to go dabble in real estate. Like how did that come about? <laughs> So for me, actually, it was not that at all. Day trading, since I was 15, that was my dream. Mm-hmm. Um, the freedom, the availability you have, you can travel the world. I mean, you can day trade from anywhere in the world. As long yep. as you got a Wi-Fi connection, you're good. So that was my dream. You know, I, I, I really wanted to solidify day trading. Um, so all that summer, you know, I, I day traded. And then college rolled around and... Um, you know, I, I really knew that college wasn't my thing and that wasn't the way my parents saw it. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, I went to Grand Rapids Community College for about two weeks, a little less than two weeks. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and I ended up at the end of week one, I went to my, my dad and my mom and I said, hey, this isn't going to work for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I'm not doing this because for me, it, it just felt like high school all over again. I was learning English without any of the fun stuff. Right. Yeah. I mean, it was just, well, and right. I mean, you you know, it, it was all online. It wasn't like, 
it wasn't the college experience by any means, but mm-hmm. no one that goes to GRCC is for looking. sure. Um, and I knew that, but I also, the only reason I went to GRCC was because I knew my parents wanted me to go to college and I figured, well, that was the easy route to take. Um, but yeah, so a week about after that first week at CC, I was like, absolutely not. Like, I just want to day trade. Like, this is cutting into my learning on that. Because uh, at this time, I mean, I was still day trading, whether it was actually trading or just studying day trading for about anywhere from five to 10 hours a day. Um, and it was a lot of times a lot more on the 10 hour side. So, you know, I was really committed. And college cut into that and I didn't like it at all. Um, so that first week I brought it up to them, they talked it over. And at the end of the second week, uh, we ended up making a deal together. Uh, they told me, you know, what's your, at the end of this year, what's your, what's your end goal with day trading? I said, well, my end goal would be if I can prove that I can consistently trade and make money, then that would be my goal. And they said, well, we need something a little bit more sure. than that. I said, all right, $25,000. That's what I want to make this year. If I make that, that puts me, for anyone who does trade out there, that puts me over the PDT rule, uh, pattern day trader rule, Yep. which is, you know, just... Explain that to me because I, as somebody who got in the Robin Hood craze back in, I'd never, I'd never heard of day trading until um, my last job in banking I landed as COVID hit. And so I was sitting in trainings all day and I was kind of bored. And all I keep hearing is like stock markets going crazy. Things are tanking. Yeah. And I just start kind of looking at it and I'm seeing these stock, these like blue chip stocks, like, you know, airlines, hotels, just getting absolutely beat down. Yeah. And in the back of my mind, I was like, this isn't going to last forever and something's going to happen. So I made a decent amount on spirit airlines when it was trading for like eight, $9 and you know, it ran all the way up to like 40 or something like that. And I got out a little too quick on that one, but, um, but that, and then another one like Moderna, I bought a thousand dollars worth of Moderna when it was $28 a share and I sold it when it got up to like 33. That's awesome. No, it wasn't awesome because it ran up to four hundred dollars later that year. <laughs> well, you know, but I still made money. It just like every now and be again, too early than too late. It, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's so. the other biggest thing day trading taught me is like it doesn't matter how much you make if you made green and it hit the target that you were looking for. Yeah, then be happy with it. Forget about if it for sure. Um, but yeah, I mean the pattern day trader rule is basically. It's only in the United States. If you're in Canada, it doesn't apply. If you're in any other country, it doesn't apply. Um, But basically, the pattern day trader rule is if you have less than $25,000 in your trading account, you can only take three day trades a week. Mm -hmm. Um, Which means you buy and sell the same stock in a day, Yeah. right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, But just to put that in perspective, to get around that during the whole summer, I went offshore. I went to an offshore account. And that got me around the PDT. So I was doing a stupid amount of trades. You know, uh, for me, uh, any given day, I'd take around 30 day trades Okay, on a, in a day. Um, so, and, and you know, that's, if you're a day trader, that's the way you want to trade. You want to mm-hmm. have in and out, in and out, in and out, yep. making profit. How, how does an 18-year-old open an offshore bank account? Like that just 
I don't know <laughs> if I just watch too many movies or whatever, but like that seems like a like the a way weird he said concept. it just so easily was like, oh yeah, just like no big like like I mean, was, it was so simple. Like he, like, like, he I don't took know. His, he he just explained that to me like he's like yeah, I took my dog for a walk last night, just so non <laughs> just open an offshore account like whatever, dude. Oh yeah, my Swiss bank account. <laughs> no, I hold mean, on, us us uh you know twenty like twenty eight Joe, you're like what twenty seven, twenty six. 25. Yeah. And we've got 20 year old Reed here that yeah. we're making fun of for being so smart and all this stuff. So let's let's stay in our lane, Joseph. <laughs> I mean, going offshore, don't get me wrong, that is a risky ass bet. Um honestly, I just found it through a ton of research. Uh, you know, I listen, if you're my age and you're going to college right now, I don't know what you're doing unless you're going for something specific that college sure. qualifies you for, because I've learned everything in day trading through YouTube and Google. And that can almost go the same for real estate when we get to that, but it, it, you're wasting your money. Um, <laughs> but I anyways, got an engineering degree and I question it all the time. Yeah. <laughs> but um, no, yeah, I mean, it was just through a ton of research. You know, I, I YouTubed, I Googled, I, how do you get around the PDT rule? What's the best way? And it kind of came down to offshore. Um, and I was like, all right. And, you know, offshore, you know, you didn't, you didn't have to have no $25,000 investment. It could be 2,500 bucks. Mm -hmm. So that's what I ended up putting into this offshore account. The risk with offshore is if they disappear, that's it. You, you're out. You lost For the money. Sure. Yeah. Um, so that was really sketchy, but it got me around the PDT rule. And for about six to eight months, that's what I did. And I day traded for real. Mm -hmm. um, so I learned a ton. And towards the end of the six, eight months, I was actually really starting to pick up day trading. I was I was starting to figure it out. Um, over that six, eight month period, I think I whittled my account down to like 13, 1300, right around there. Mm -hmm. And um, so, you know, I wasn't like making money or anything, but I was learning. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I saw that as my upfront investment or, you know, my college investment sure. in a sense is how I looked at it. Um, so yeah, I mean, at the end of that six, eight months, uh, the offshore account, thank God they did this. They said they're disbanding all us accounts. Um, I guess, you know, I don't know the whole story behind mm -hmm. why they did it or not, but they gave everyone the heads up and said, why are your money out? Ooh. And I was like, damn it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, so I wired it out. The money came back and it was all good. And I was like, whoo, um, and then from there, you know, I was kind of stuck and that's where real estate starts to come in. Mm -hmm. Um, they did that right around college when I was getting into college slash about a month after, um, was kind of the time frame there. So this was like right around September, August, September of 2020, maybe October. And, um, yeah, they, uh, so I got my money back. Um, you know, I, I just wrapped up my two weeks in college and I was kind of stuck, you know, I was still needed to make money. So I ended up get, picking up a part-time job at Meyer, um, it's just a grocery store if anyone doesn't know. And, um, you know, I worked that for about 20, 20 to 30 hours a week, mm -hmm. right around there. And then I day traded the rest of the time. Um, up until about the beginning of October, uh, one of my dad's 
best buddies from high school. He's basically an uncle to me. Uh, you know, he's known me my whole life. He's got daughters that, you know, I call my cousins. So, you know, they're, they're part of the family. And um, they were over one Friday night, right around the beginning of October, you know, and everybody's partying. I was hanging out with him and uh, he kind of, he was actually just wrapping up his first year in real estate. Okay. And I, he kind of just blurted out, man, I wish I would have started this real estate thing when I was 20 years old. I'd be a millionaire by now. Uh, that caught your attention. Year. Oh yeah. It, it, I looked right at him and I was like, all right, dude, like that's interesting. Um, you know, I didn't really talk about it more with them because again, we were sure. yeah. more of a party than, uh, than anything else. Um, but that weekend I, I, uh, that next Saturday and that Sunday, I did a lot of more research on real estate and what it takes to be an agent and, you know, kind of what the lifestyle is like. And it lined up a lot with what I envisioned day trading to be for me. Um, you know, the freedom of schedule, you're your own boss, you can make good money. Um, so that was what kind of got my kick on real estate and, you know, doing some more research that weekend, talking with him, you know, where'd you get your license, this and that, what's that entail? Um, did all that and about 9, 10 p.m. Sunday night. So Friday, he said that Sunday night, I ended up signing up for the real estate course. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, because it was cheap. It's, it's for anyone out there who's interested in real estate, it's very easy to get your real estate license. Yeah. There is not much that goes to it. Um, but yeah, I ended up signing up for the class 9, 10 p.m. Sunday night and... I didn't really understand how the layout of the website worked, what the scheduling was like. I, I couldn't figure it out. And maybe it was just because it was late at night and I was tired and I just signed up for it and kind of forgot about it or whatnot. Um, but I woke up that next morning getting ready to day trade, you know, doing the normal thing. And I get a call at 8 a.m. from the broker, one of the brokers of who I signed up for the real estate course with. And uh, she called me and she was like, Hey, I saw you, uh, you signed up for the real estate class last night. She's like, are you planning on being here? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. And she's like, okay, well it starts at 9am in an hour. Uh, <laughs> and you have to be on time. Otherwise it won't count. She's like, can you make it? And I was like, what did you think it was online? I didn't, I had, I, I knew it was in person. I just, but this was also during COVID. So that was also kind of up in the air. I was like, oh, I didn't really sure. know. Yeah. And, um, and, and I didn't understand how the website was laid out. So for me, I, I was just like, I signed up and I was like, all right, sweet. I'll just wait to hear. Here, here's this, here's this dude over here that that's day trading and opening offshore accounts and can't read the instructions on his, <laughs> on his real estate exam. Dude, I don't know what it was that night, but for some reason I could not figure that's out. Hilarious. Like, I could not understand. It was a very, the brokerage I, I took it through, they had just, left a major brokerage and started their own. Sure. So the website wasn't necessarily super updated or anything. And there wasn't a ton of information about the real estate class. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when you usually sign up for it, she calls you after you sign up, talks with you about it, fills you in on, you know, what to expect yeah. when things are going on. Um, for me, I do remember there being a calendar and it went for the week, but it didn't give you like 
to my knowledge, it didn't give me any times or like anything like that. It just was class, 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 class. So I was thinking there was maybe going to be something on Monday, but I had no idea. And uh, so I get that 8 a.m. call and she's like, can you make it? And I was like, I just said yes. And she's like, okay, I'll see you in an hour. And I was like, yep. And I had no idea where this place even was. <laughs> um, didn't do that research either. And uh, ended up being right on East Beltline, which is about 20 minutes from where I lived. And I was like, sweet. Put some clothes on. Um, got in my car and and left. Grabbed a pencil. I was like, I don't know what I need, but that's hilarious. Pencil is probably pretty uh mandatory. So <laughs> just walk in this real estate <laughs> class, bright eyed uh, and bushy tailed. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. Well, and so that was the best part. You know, I'm at this time I'm 18 years old. Um, so I walk into the real estate class. There's three other students in there, and they're all. You know, I think the youngest was 35 and then the others were 45 plus. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, crap. Like, what did I just get myself into? <laughs> um, you know, I, I thought it was only going to be like a two, three hour, maybe four hour class. Like nothing major. I, I had no idea what to expect. And um, it ended up being a whole eight hour day. Uh, was not prepared for that. Had no food or anything like that. So I uh, no folder, no, you know, all I brought was a pencil. Um, <laughs> and uh, so, I mean, yeah, that was kind of my my intro into real estate. And that week absolutely destroyed me. Um, for those of you who don't know, to get your real estate license, it's a, well, depending on how you do it, but it's a 40-hour, one-week class. Um, so that's what I had signed up for, not knowing. And figured it out all that day. Um, you know, I remember one of the first questions she asked us was, why'd you guys get into this? And I was like, I, I don't know. I signed up 12 hours ago. Like, yeah. <laughs> I haven't put a lot of thought yeah. into it. Um, so, I mean, it was just, you know, I, I knew why I got into it. It was because of the freedom and the sure. you're your own boss and this and that. But other than that, like I was really in the dark. I had no idea. Mm -hmm. It wasn't, it I absolutely was not too help people buy and sell their homes. Did you ever have the 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 thought across your mind is like, okay, I'm an 18-year-old kid and I'm about to talk to grown-ass adults about selling like about like working with them on for 95% of people buying a house, buying or selling a house is the largest financial transaction they'll take place of in their entire life. Did that thought ever cross your mind or are you just like, I'll figure it out. No big deal. It did once I passed the class and <laughs> ever since then, it is something I think about every single day. Um, so yeah, like in the grand scheme of things, I had no idea what I was getting into. Um, but you know, as I grew and learned through everything, it, it got better, but, um, for sure. Yeah, no, I mean that that thought crosses my mind every single day. Because I've I've worked with you on a handful of customer like I've issued a pre a couple pre-approvals for some of your buyers and you know what you're doing. Like there's yeah. no doubt in my mind like and like a 19-year-old kid. But I had this problem when I when I started working in banking. I think I was 21 or 22 when I started in banking. Yeah. And I was supposed to start having these conversations with people about their their money. Yep. And I'm like 
bro, I've got like $37 in my checking account right now. And you, I'm trying to talk to you about opening a $50,000 money market or opening a HELOC yep. on your home or something like that. Well, listen, I, I still I was so dumb. I didn't, know to, I didn't know how to spell HELOC. That's how dumb I was <laughs> yeah. when I was getting started in banking. So, I mean, yeah, it was, it was a big, uh, like wake up call, uh, honestly. And that's why it took me so long to get my first deal, to be honest, too. Um, because once I pass the class, so once you pass the forty-hour class, um, you have to you have to pass the state exam. Mm-hmm. That took me three tries to actually end up passing. You get unlimited tries, but you pay for it. Um, but it took me three tries. Third time's a charm, and uh, yeah, I mean from there that I ended up getting licensed December second and signing on with Success Realty December second. Um, so it took. You know, I had wait times because of COVID to actually get in and take the test mm-hmm. and, and, and get licensed. So there, it, it took, it, my time frame was longer specifically because of COVID. Yeah. Um, but once I passed, you know, the real estate exam and what you learn to actually get your license doesn't teach you anything about what a real estate agent actually has to do on a day-to-day basis, how to grow a business. You know, it, uh, I almost refer to it somewhat like high school. <laughs> yeah. Uh, learn it and forget about it kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And um, same, same with mortgage. Yeah. Like, there's so many like, there's so many things that, by the way, I passed my state mortgage exam on the first try. Just wanted to <laughs> All right. get that out Rubbed there. Got a little brag. bit. Yeah. yeah. In a little bit. Yeah. I got to brag. I was never good <laughs> at school. So that's like my one <laughs> braggadocious thing. I, it only took me six years to get a four-year degree, so there. <laughs> uh, yeah, I passed on the first time. So, um, but like, in in real estate, there's so much stuff to learn. Yeah. But really, the most important part is networking. Yep. Um, well, and kind of, I mean, that is a huge, huge part. But you know, going back to, this is one of the biggest this is probably the biggest investment these people are ever going to deal with in their life. This biggest financial decision. Yeah. Um, that was really emphasized to me through success realty. And I really took it to heart because I'm not the kind of guy to just go and and fudge somebody. Um, or, you know, I, it's kind of the same thought I had with day trading. You know, I wanted to know what I was doing. Um, I wanted to know the process and I wanted to learn everything I could. So from December 2nd, uh, for about the next four to five months, I did nothing but study real estate, study, you know, what a realtor needs to know, what they do, the service they provide, how to walk people through the buying process, how to walk people through the selling process. I literally took the four, first four or five months and did nothing but work part-time at Meyer, And, um, study real estate and how to how to basically work it and because i took that to heart you know i once i realized actually what i was helping people do it it really opened my eyes and honestly it put more stress on me than anything else Mm -hmm. um because i was nervous about it like you don't want to screw that up for someone so um i really took it to heart and wanted to learn as much as i could just about the industry. Um, so for the first five, four or five months, I learned how learned how to walk, basically. And um, 
I finally got to the point where I understood the process. I understood all the back end of everything I needed to know, but I didn't understand actually taking the steps through it. So what I ended up doing was I went up to a, uh, one of my brokers, actually the one who taught the class. And I said, listen, I get it. I know what I want to do to get business, but I don't know the process. Like I haven't been through the process. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said, is there anything you guys can do to show me that? And um, she basically said, yeah, go ask Susan, who is our broker owner at Success Realty. She go, She said, go ask Susan. She will train you and she will take you on everything you need to go on to fully envelop the process. I said, okay, sweet. So I went to Susan and I basically just said, hey, if you got a closing coming up, a listing consultation, a buyer's consultation, um, an inspection going up, an appraisal coming up, I want to go on it with you. Mm -hmm. And she said, absolutely. That's probably the smartest. Of all the smart decisions you made, that's probably the smartest decision (laughs) you've made. Well, Liz, for me, it was extremely stressful knowing what I was going to be helping people with. And that you I, didn't fully understand. Yeah. Yourself. And and for me, like I've never really, I mean, I've taken risks on things, but it's not until I've had a very good amount of time of just researching it. Right. And it's just Minus, your risk. And yeah, I mean, the one thing that I would say opposes that is when I signed up for the stupid class. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so it's like, um, you know, I, I like to feel comfortable and actually have a good idea of what I'm doing before I really actually start doing it. So that's what I did. Susan literally took me under her wing and beyond grateful for her. Um, you know, I owe all my success to her. Out of but, curiosity, uh, is that something that they advertise to do that someone like Susan is there to help you uh, get through the process? Or is that something that they wait for uh, new realtors to ask for specifically? At the time, I had to ask for it. Hmm. Um, like I said, they had just branched off. Like when I joined in, it was literally the year they branched off from Mm, the main brokerage. So Susan already had a crap ton on her plate. You know, she was figuring out her own business and she was still a real estate agent. And then she had this kid coming up to her. Hey, (laughs) I don't get it. Like, so, um, you know, she had a lot on her plate and they weren't really thinking that. Being an actual real estate agent, finding good training for that is extremely hard. And that's something that I kind of picked up on because um, the whole reason I even told the first broker that I needed the help was because I was fed up with trying to research it on YouTube and Google. Mm -hmm. Like I just couldn't find the answers that I was looking for. Um, So I got to the point where I was just fed up enough where I just asked for it and you know, that was another huge lesson. If you ask, you ask and you shall receive. Is that the, uh, that, and is, you shall receive? Yeah. that yep. is the verse, I believe. Um, that has never been truer. Um, and it's true for literally everything. Um, so yeah, I mean, I finally got fed up and, and so I asked and she said, you know, absolutely. She, she loved that. I was even asking. Um, so she literally took me under her ring under her wing, she showed me the ropes. Like, I mean, from front to back, everything. And 
for people who don't know Susan, Susan is in her 42nd year of being a real estate agent in the Grand Rapids area. Oh, wow. Um, so, you know, I tall, I call her, <laughs> I call her a walking, talking history book on real estate in, <laughs> in the Grand Rapids area. Cause she, it's crazy. And before that, her dad was actually a real estate agent oh, in Grand Rapids. Yeah. So um, that's like, so, I mean, yeah, I mean, the wealth of knowledge that she has is absurd. And I learned that more and more as, you know, I was working with her more and more. Um, and she was teaching me and that was probably another month or two process where she was just hands on training me on literally everything. And then from there, you know, I felt like I had the base. I knew what I was doing now. I knew the process. I knew the steps that I needed to talk with people about. Um, you know, I didn't necessarily know how to talk to people, but, I knew what I was doing. Right. You know, mm-hmm. I took the time to really learn it. And um, that was huge for me. So during that whole process, you know, I was also studying how do I want to go about getting business? I need money um, now. So <laughs> I, I was basically researching ways to get money now in real estate. Um, and that kind of came down to calling for sale by owners and getting them to list with you. Um, so that's what I ended up deciding to do. And it took me, that was probably, yeah, it was mid April when I decided to really hit it hard, um, start cold calling and basically only for sale by owners. And, um, it took me about three months after that to actually get my first deal. Uh, nice. So let, by the way, I got to interject here. So you want to know, so the housing market's tight and we'll, we'll wrap up by talking about the market, what's yeah. going on now and what we see. <laughs> but you want to know something interesting and I, you m- may know this, you may not. Um, something interesting that real estate offices are doing these days what's to that? get listings. What's that? They're calling people, cold calling. I got a call yesterday and yeah. I was very taken aback by it. There's these real estate offices that are cold calling people, homeowners, probably just pulling public record and going through and all that stuff. And basically paying them $1,000 to sign a listing agreement in perpetuity. So basically, you don't have to list with us right now, but when you do, you list with us and and we'll write you a check for a thousand bucks. Have you heard of that before? I have not heard of that. Uh, I am extremely opposed to that but if it works i guess it works yeah i told her to, to you know go fly a kite <laughs> like, i mean is- i don't like if if you're talking to someone that has to offer you money for you for you to do business with them is this really someone you want to work with like yeah for sure and she asked why and i was like well i have relationships with enough realtors um i'm not going to do business with somebody that just randomly calls me <laughs> Yeah, I would be extremely skeptical about that as yeah, well. Yeah, for sure. But, and, um, <laughs> and sign it, like, you don't have to list your house right now, but we're going to have you sign this contract that we're going to pay. Like, we're going to pay yeah, you okay, to sign like, this what's the shitty contract? contract. Three, four, five years? Like, yeah, okay. And like, we own your house if you don't. <laughs> get out of here. Go away. No, that would walk you right into lawsuits. Yeah, for sure. So um, tell me, so tell me right now, so you're in the Grand Rapids market and I work in, um, sorry, I'm 
driving producer Joe crazy about this. So, uh, so you, you're a real estate in the Grand Rapids area. I'm a mortgage lender in the Grand Rapids area. Um, what are you seeing on the listing side? Um, uh, what are you seeing on the buyer side? Um, is this hike in interest rates and some of the volatility in the bond market that I'm seeing, is is that affecting anything on your end or are listings up, down, sideways? What are we looking at? Listing wise, I would say, not a ton has changed. Um, and I'm talking from when I got in and you, you know, you gotta, you gotta kind of take my experience with a grain of salt. Um, cause you know, I got in during COVID, which you don't have were, a ton of context. Right. But you know, I got, I've known what other real estate markets look like, but I haven't experienced it. So, mm-hmm. uh, that's kind of what I mean. But you know, I got in at the height, you know, I really started hitting real estate hard at the height of COVID. Uh, and for any of you who don't know, the real estate market across the country was stupid. Um, values were skyrocketing and rates were really, really low. Rates were extremely low. The, and you- the best example that I can give from someone who knows nothing about real estate, I had a friend who bought a house uh, two years ago and took out a mortgage on it and he just sold it this year after building a house with his wife and they made $150,000 in the same house with no renovations or anything. Just straight up buy, maintain, sell. Mm-hmm. Well, and listen, that's that's the West Michigan market. Yeah. Um, you We're know, looking at appreciation about 22% year over year. Yeah. Um, so, you know, from, from my experience in that time period of 2020 till now, 2022, um, not a ton has changed listing wise because we are not building enough homes to supply the amount to supply the population. Basically. Um, have I seen listings increase? Yes. Um, but barely, uh, you know, it, it, in 2020 we were, you know, looking at about 0.1 to 0.3 months supply of homes in any given market. Uh, and if you don't know what that means, basically, if let's say we had 0.3 months supply of homes on the market, uh, basically what that would mean is if nothing sold after those, it'd last 0.3 months. Uh, ten so days. it'd be, yeah, like literally 10 days and every, all the inventory would be gone. There'd be no more new houses for sale. There'd be, we'd be empty. Um, so from that standpoint till now, now we're looking at about 0. 0.5 to 0.8 on the higher end month supply. Okay. Um, so has it increased? Yes. Mm-hmm. Has it been very much? Absolutely not. Is it still a seller's market? Absolutely. Um, so from the listing standpoint, not a ton has changed for throughout my experience. So I um, just got a house under contract and I won't say any names or anything, but they were the only person that wrote an offer on this house. Mm -hmm. Are we going to start seeing more of that? Yes. Yes, I agree. And here's, and, and I actually think, and I, and I started thinking about this yesterday and I had a, a conversation with another real estate agent today and kind of an interesting point here is that we're going to see first-time home buyers now having an advantage yep. in some circumstances. 
And here's why. It's because let's say, I'll, I'll take myself for instance. I have a house and I believe I, I, I've got, you know, it was somewhere between a hundred and two hundred thousand dollar mortgage, yep. and my interest rate is three and three eight seven five. We'll call it. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. three and seven eighths. Um, it would be it would be a really tough sell for me to. I mean, yes, I'm going to sell my house and I'm going to make some money. But from a budgeting and a payment standpoint, even if I rolled a hundred percent of my equity into that next purchase, right, on a house that's also inflated the value of with a rate that's almost double what I have right now, that's a tough sell for a current homeowner to make a move like Absolutely. that. But if you're a first time home buyer and you need to get into something and you're going to start having equity now, you know, you could say, Hey, I'm going to have a five and a half or 6% interest rate, but I'm going to get in the house and I'm going to start building equity. Yep. So we're going to start seeing a lot less, um, offers that are going crazy. Yes. We're not going to see the 10, 15, 20. Um, I, I had a client write an offer on a, on a property earlier this year and um, she was one of 84. Yep. Mm. And, you know, that's, there is areas in Grand Rapids where it's not nearly as bad, but you, it's also not uncommon to see 20 to 30 offers. For sure. Um, There's still going to be some hot areas in Grand Rapids, no doubt. The other flip side with increasing, well, there's kind of two points I want to make about the increasing interest rates. Um, one is as interest rates increases, it starts to knock buyers off. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when it was at 3%, everybody and their grandma could afford to Correct. purchase a home over renting. Yeah. Well, the rates are pricing a lot of buyers out of the market yes. right now. So now you're starting to see all the lower tier buyers get knocked off, which was again, that's the hottest market. That's mm-hmm. where you were seeing those 84 other offers. Correct. Well, if those buyers are getting knocked off, now you're not competing against as many and that's where you're seeing the decrease in in offers. Mm-hmm. Um, the other point I wanted to make is 6 to 8% interest rates is a healthy market. Uh, those are great rates. And for anyone who thinks rates are high right now, you you need to look back at history. Yeah, for sure. Um, rates are, you know, or slightly, ask your parents what their first house interest rates were. If I had a dollar for every time my dad told me the same story about yeah. him signing a 12% mortgage, like I'd, I'd have quite a few dollars. Mm-hmm. I would be able to afford my next purchase. Dude, I talked <laughs> to some of my parents' friends, their first house they bought, you know, their interest rates were 20%. Yeah. Like, so. Granted, they're probably buying a 60 or $70,000 house. But which is the size of, um, you know, a new car today. Yeah. So, I mean, so it's all give and take. But at the end of the day, you know, right now, interest rates are still astronomically low. So, you know, mm-hmm. just to kind of put it in perspective, we saw we saw the lowest of all time. Like there were like I mean, sometimes yeah, I mean, like when I'm talking to five, didn't we? I would call. Yeah, I would call. I wrote a two seven five back in July last year, yeah. on a 15 year fixed. Um, you know, a lot of 30 year fix were in the low threes yep. on a lot last year. So, um, so yeah, I think the problem is, is that we, we, from the beginning of COVID till about, um, uh, till January of this year, 
yeah. the rate if you had if you if you had a mortgage rate that didn't start with a three, yeah. uh, you you were stupid for not having refinanced, <laughs> right. you know. Yeah. Um, but they they dropped they they rates increased so quickly that it was it's hard for people to stomach. Yep. The the dread. It's well, not how listen, much you they just changed. Told me today it was how quickly. Popped. Yeah. Yeah. So, we had we had one of the single worst days in the mortgage bond market in in the last twelve years on Monday. At, at, at one point in time, the more <laughs> the mortgage bond market took such a bad beating. Like I, and I'm not an expert on this, but I would reckon it was one of the worst, maybe top twenty worst single days really? that we'd had since 2008 when really? mortgage bonds were trashed yeah, completely. Yeah. <laughs> And banks were bailed out, and there's yeah. a whole financial crisis. If you want more information on what that looks like, go watch the movie. We were talking about this earlier. Uh, Margin Call. Yeah, that's a great movie. Great movie. Fix it really well. I don't think I've yep. ever seen it. It's a great. Go watch it on oh. Netflix tonight. It's a great watch. If you don't know great anything about too. the, yeah, Kevin Spacey's in <laughs> yeah. it. Um, the one guy that kind of looks like Jim from The Office, but he's not, is the main character. Can't think of that actor's name. I can't picture. Um, there's the one guy. The one British actor who's a phenomenal actor. He's my favorite movie he was in is, is Legion. Which I is know a, what you're talking about. I cannot I have no idea what his name his is. Name, yeah. But um he he was really good in it. Um oh the the one actor that died Kevin Spacey, Stanley Tukey, and Zachary Quinto. Is uh Heath Ledger in that too? Is that who that was? Or was did he oh, die by then? I wasn't sure. The really good, handsome-looking dude that played um, uh, Demi Moore. It's been a little while. No, since that I've is seen a it. female. I, I know. I'm just trying to oh, think okay. of like names that Heath actually. Ledger. Is Heath Ledger in that? Looked exactly like Kevin Heath Spacey. Is the is the the big name that's in here? Yeah. Yeah. Paul Bettany. Jeremy Irons. Yeah, I'm not seeing any like hmm. huge names. Nonetheless, yeah, great, great movie. watch though. Yeah, for <laughs> yeah. sure. Anyway, so yeah, mortgage bonds took an absolute beating on Monday. Um, and uh, with the Fed to today's Tuesday, um, uh, June fourteenth, uh, the yeah. Fed's meeting tomorrow, um, potentially could uh, increase the Fed uh, the Fed funds rate uh, a half to three quarters of a percent, which mm. actually may calm down the bond market a little bit. Because, because if the Fed gets serious about fighting inflation um, by raising the Fed funds rate, um, then we may start to see the bond market cool off and maybe start to have some traction and maybe rates dip a little bit. Yeah. They tell me if I'm wrong. If you disagree with me. No, it, no. I mean, I agree. It's just it's going to be hard to catch up to inflation. I mean, oh, a hundred percent. Y'all, forty-year record inflation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, when you print, what was it, forty, fifty percent of the all money in circulation, and between the last two years, we were going to pay for it in some form or fashion. I mean, I don't think you can catch mm -hmm. that. You for sure. You you already kiboshed it. I mean, for everybody's sure. complaining about gas prices right now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's going to hit your food real soon. It's going to hit everything else real soon. Yeah, I think mm -hmm. energy is up what, like almost forty percent now. Yeah. Yeah. Overall. Not surprising. Yeah. yeah. So anyway. So that's going to be another, you know, who knows how that's going to affect the real estate and mm -hmm. every other industry in the world. For but sure. The one thing that, the one thing that we don't want to see, I've heard this term thrown around a little bit and I'll be, I'll be the first to admit I'm, I, we're talking about these things from 
our perspective and I don't, I'm not an expert in the bond market. I'm, I'm, I'm calling it as I see it from studying this for about two years. So right. my, my spectrum is a little bit limited on this as is yours. Yep. Um, but the, the one thing that we don't want to see is stagflation. I've heard that word thrown around. That's what happened in the seventies. That's when we had a gas shortage. That's when we had 20% mortgage rates. Um, that's what we don't want to see. Right. We can deal with this for a period of time. Or the uninitiated, yeah. what is stagflation? Because I, I don't know. Why don't you pull up that definition, Joseph? Because I've heard that term thrown around and I, I could probably give you a decent description, but I, I might botch it. So this is saying stagflation is a mashup turn combining Put the words. Put the camera on your beautiful face. Oh, sorry. There I pressed go. the wrong button. I meant to. <laughs> I, I tried to. Uh it describes that an economy that is malfunctioning in which prices keep soaring while economic growth slumps. So no economic growth, but increasing prices. Inc yeah, it's still inflating. Yeah. So I would say that we're well on our way to that happening. Yeah. Absolutely. So. Well, it'll be interesting because, you know, they're, I mean, raise minimum wage. All right. Well, you know. I had a very interesting Anything conversation with a, is... a gentleman at a gas pump about this the other day. Yeah. <laughs> so, everybody well, loves talking about it right now. That's for yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah. Joe, what are your thoughts on raising the minimum wage? <sighs> please don't. No, let's do it. No. Yes, please don't. Let's do it. Because everything, everything else. You want to, you want the minimum wage to be higher though, right? No. Oh, you don't. Well, so. Do you not like, care about the poor humans making minimum wage? <laughs> I care about everyone else that he, is not poor that would also get eventually screwed over. And he, he took the bait. Yeah. Watch. <laughs> uh, don't get me started, that man. Was an evil laugh. <laughs> <laughs> he knows me too well. Uh, I I tried to get him to go down the rabbit hole on it. My I could feel like my blood pressure starts to increase <laughs> as you said that. I know I know you mean like mean it as a joke, but like it still still gets me. I know I know. Well, I mean, I worked at a bank, and I won't say their name, but their number their their numbers correlated with them, and their numbers five three. So I won't say the name of the bank though. But uh, while I was working there, I was I don't know I was making like twenty twenty one bucks an hour or something like that as a banker. But then they decided to raise the teller's minimum wage from to $15 an hour. No, 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 no. They raised it to $18 an hour. Hmm. Did I get a raise? No. no. Did anybody else in retail get a raise? No. Now, that's a that's a microcosm of our economy. But if they if the federal government mandates that um, any employee can only make $15 an hour or more. That doesn't mean that everyone else is going to get a wage, but right. the price of those goods and services that those people produce is going to increase. So therefore you lose purchase. The, the person that had their wages raised from $13 to an hour to $15 an hour in the macro, they lose their purchasing power. So they don't get a raise. So we, were, just, talk we were talking about inflation earlier. Uh, and not being able to catch up to it as someone who works in engineering and is in that like generally middle to middle upper class kind of career path. Correct. But salaried. Yeah. Well, I'm not, I'm not salaried. I'm actually hourly, which is good deal. Yes. But a lot of people are, are salaried. Uh, <laughs> places are not currently catching up with inflation as it currently sits with minimum wage, not being good. Like you within, if you stay within a company, chances are you're getting underpaid right now. Because if you jump to another company, you're getting a 10 to 15% raise Correct. in a lot of cases. Yep. So 
if minimum wage is also increased, then everything is just not going to catch up. It, For just, sure. it just won't. And by the way, um, do you know what the federal minimum wage is, Joseph? I have no idea, but I can look it up. I, that would be I great. it's like 12. I thought last I heard it was like right around 12. Now, here's, a, here's another fun fact. And Joe can probably look this up quickly after he figures out what the minimum wage is. Why is it? It's just going by state. Yeah. And I don't know which supersedes which. which Michigan supersedes. is 987. Okay, yeah. we'll call it 987. Let's, hypothetically speaking, let's say... Uh, 725. 725. Okay, so Michigan's okay. Yeah, minimum yeah, yeah. wage supersedes that. So yeah. the minimum wage in Michigan is nine something. Yeah. Um. Now, look, I've heard, and I could be wrong, which, but less than 2% of the American population makes minimum wage. Can you confirm that, Joe? Less than two percent. Less than two percent of Americans. Imagine living off seven twenty-five an hour. Right. My point being is that if like you work eight hours and make fifty-six bucks, that's that's brutal. Maybe. By the way, sixty-five if you're pushing it. <laughs> my thought, my so, a lot of people were like, people making minimum wage can't live off of that. Mm-hmm. And my my response to that is, you are correct, sir. Like I, I don't dis- yeah. I don't disagree with that notion. Yeah. I but like I also disagree with the fact that if you're making minimum wage and I can drive down any given street in any business district and there are fast food restaurants that are hiring at a minimum of fourteen dollars an hour, that sounds like a you problem, bro. For real. I so it's very fair. I I say this in no way to brag. I have been absolutely blessed with amazing jobs. I don't think I've actually had a truly terrible job ever. I have. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, there are a couple I'm that came you, close, Joe. but like, uh, I haven't had a like, job. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but like, if you create enough value, I was, I was a freaking what? 15, 16 year old making what? Four or $5 over minimum wage at the time. Because I just, create I did a good enough job to create enough value like if you aren't if you can't live off minimum wage and you need to provide for yourself like do better mm-hmm. well I <laughs> could speak on that for sure yeah absolutely Go my for it. generation that's the issue everybody's seen and no one thinks 14 an hour is good enough in my generation for sure which to me makes you want to hit someone like Mm-hmm. It, it really makes me mad because it's like you guys just, in in my mind my generation is very entitled and mm-hmm. for them working at McDonald's is more of like a, uh, like what do I want to say depressing uh, beneath them beneath them yeah but it's not mm-hmm. like you guys are 18 to 18 below 20 below like yeah that's where you start kind of thing. You know what I did when I was in, not to be like, to give you like a back in the day, like I'm not trying to do that, but oh, there's a summer, there was a summer after high school. I think it was my, my summer after my senior year, I was, um, I, I was working a job at Culver's and just a restaurant. I was, I was a cook making probably $9 an hour. Something nine sounds about right. Nine fifty an hour, maybe something like that. 
and I'm working at Culver's and I start playing travel baseball and we have tournaments on the weekend. So now I can only work Monday through Thursday and I need to get more out. Like, and I was maxed out with the hours that I could work at Culver's. So I went and got a job at McDonald's working the five to (laughs) 10 shift at McDonald's. So I was working five to 10 at McDonald's. I would go home, shower, nap, go to bed, like, like take a little nap or whatever. And then I'd wake up and I'd go into Culver's at like three or four o'clock and work wow. the evening shift and get out at like 11 or midnight yeah. and wake up. And I'd do that Monday through Thursday because I wanted to play baseball on the weekends. Yep. But I never felt like I was beneath that. I was just like, this is a means to an, an end to, to get to where I need to be. Yeah. And I mean, I can touch on that too. Like if there's anyone my age, you know, I didn't talk about this earlier, but when I was in that four to six month period where I was just learning real estate. I was also working 20, 30 hours at Meyer. I was still day trading. I never gave up on day trading. Uh, I was also donating plasma. Okay. Donating plasma to make side cash and door dashing. Um, so I was doing about five different things. Just I wish to make those ends. side hustles existed. Right? When I like, was those are great 18, side 19. hustles, but like at the same time, it's still, you know, like putting in the work, like, nothing's beneath you. It's just what you got to do kind of thing. Uh, So I think that's like the big mindset shift that everything I've done and experienced has given me. And I feel like a lot of my generation doesn't get that. So to come back to the, the statistics on people earning less than the federal minimum wage uh, for touch point 1979, when it, was first recorded 13.4 percent of americans earned less money than the federal minimum wage wow 2020 that dropped down to 1.5 percent okay one and a half percent are making minimum wage okay but that would also factor in how many people were on unemployment uh that is anyone 16 or older in the working force yeah so that would be your number difference there Mm mm-hmm yeah, so Everybody they said got uh, unemployment. Seven seventy three point three million is the number. It's crazy. Yeah, I mean, I won't lie. I was on unemployment. That's what got me my day trading funds. <laughs> there you um, go. At least you did something good with it instead of just buying well, that something stupid. That was my stupid. whole point because I felt bad taking it because I knew I didn't necessarily need it. Mm-hmm. But I also had this driving thing that I really wanted to do, so that's For why sure. I did it. Um. You know, I actually had people in my grade that they just straight up didn't take it. They started working. Really? Yeah. Which I thought was actually super cool. I mean, the majority of kids st- took it, mm-hmm. but, uh, and they did, you know, they partied and pissed it away. Drugs, yeah. alcohol, whatever, but um, partied. Yeah. I mean, for me, it was more, no, this is my, di- this is my dream fund. Like, mm-hmm. So I don't know. It's it, but that, you know, that would make sense because the second unemployment came out, everybody jumped on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, to really put it in perspective, I got unemployment after working three days at my valet job. Oh my gosh. Three wow. days. <laughs> like, I hope I don't get in trouble for saying this, but three days I worked three full shifts and then COVID hit. We got furloughed. I applied for unemployment after about a month. Cause I didn't even think I would qualify. Uh-huh. And then everybody was like, dude, we're qualifying. Mm-hmm. And so I tried it and I got it. Yeah. Ridiculous. So like it was stupid easy to get on unemployment too. Mm-hmm. And now they're backpedaling on it too. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, so I worked like reduced hours and then like 
they had us like the last eight hours of the week were all paid by the state because like there just wasn't enough work but we were required to stay open as uh like we supplied government contractors so like i was open through everything working and like even i got minimum or, or like technically unemployment money which is crazy yeah yeah i mean they literally printed and threw money out the window yeah so yeah for sure this All right. Insane. Well, I think we got off yeah. a little bit on the weeds. <laughs> yeah. that's a, a little bit. That's a good note to end on, ladies and gentlemen. If you're still with us, we can't thank you enough for tuning in tonight. Um, the first episode in a while with us doing video. Hopefully, we get all the kinks ironed out. Maybe I get a little bit of ba- better background. I've got all the yeah. kid toys, and we need to get rid of that ugly ass wallpaper a real on the other Show's side. Real life. Yeah. This is a, this is a real show with real people. None yeah. of none of yeah. those fake ass celebrities that are out there <laughs> that are doing podcasts. I mean, this is just as real as it gets. In the heart of the Midwest, by the way. <laughs> heart of the Midwest. Bunch of good old boys. So thank you for tuning in. Can't thank you enough. Uh, you're one of the greatest human beings on the face of the planet. If you're still with us, please like, share, and subscribe. We're on. Uh, we're going to be on YouTube. This this thing's going up on YouTube. And yep. by the way, and producer Joe and I can both test to this. We have some fun things in the works where we're going to be hammering the YouTube and the clip. So make sure you subscribe to the channel. Uh, the out of the rut. Read what's your uh, what's your uh, plug plug your uh, plug your shit your um, um, read your realtor. My YouTube is Reed Nicholson. Uh, my Instagram's Read Your Realtor. My Facebook's Reed Nicholson. All right, that go pretty much cover it. Go look them up. Uh, thanks for tuning in, guys. We will catch you on the other side. Have a great night. Uh-huh.